What do you think of when you see the word or the letters, Numbers 316? What comes into your mind? I know if it's like most people, especially in the church, you think John 316. You watch ball games on football games and they've got to sign up John 316. It's prominent. But today's going to be different. Today's going to be Malachi 316. And unless you've been sneaky enough to look in advance, you probably don't know what it says. But you're going to find out. The last chapter in the Old Testament is Malachi. Before 400 years of silence is broken by the announcement of the final Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. Before we get into Malachi 3.16, let's give some context. The prophet Malachi lived near the end of the Persian Empire. Just a few years before Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire would begin. Around 400 years before Christ. Many of the Jews had returned to Judah at that time. And the Jerusalem temple had been rebuilt. Even though it was nothing like the grandeur of Solomon's temple. But the temple had been reestablished. And animal sacrifices were taking place again in Jerusalem. During the time of Malachi. The Jews were back in the land after their Babylonian and Persian exile. But things are still not right between the Jewish people and God. There's still a problem. Now, we can start Malachi chapter 3. Let's start with verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you're, you, that's why you, descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Now, we got to, this is the foundation today. God is announcing to Malachi 400 years before Christ, I do not change. I am the Lord, I do not change. And because I do not change, that is why you are still here. That's why you have not already been destroyed. Do you understand? Do you see it? God had made a covenant promise to their ancestor Abraham. And that's the only reason that there's any Jews still left on the earth. Why? Why do I say that? Because of their constant rebellion and their stiff neck. That's what he called it. You're a stiff necked people. He says, because I do not change, I did not destroy you because I made a covenant with your ancestor Abraham. Now, this truth is confirmed in the New Testament book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, 17, it says God also bound himself with an oath. God binds himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. What did it say in Malachi? I do not change. In Hebrews, it says he, can never, he will never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things, his promise, his oath, they are unchangeable. Because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. 
Now, how would that make you feel if you're a Gentile? Now, if that covenant promise that God made to Abraham was so powerful that even though Israel rebelled, he did not destroy them. You say, well, that's interesting, but what about us? We're not Jewish, we're Gentiles. Actually, that should make you feel pretty good. Because we Gentiles are also under a covenant promise as well. It's not just a covenant promise for Abraham and Israel, the Jewish people. The new covenant, we just participated in the new covenant of his blood. In Romans chapter 10, this is Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Gentile church. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone, Jew and Gentile, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Also in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we compare that to Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. I am Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In, it is in that context, it is in that context that Malachi says this, that is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. It is in that context that God reveals these details of his disappointment with his people 400 years before Christ. So here we go. We're moving toward John 3, 6, Malachi 3.16. So let's go to Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. And that is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. And ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now, return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? They still couldn't see. You have scorned my decrees. You have fallen away. You have failed to obey my word. Now return to me and I'll return to you. When I read that, I think about the abortion issue that we dealt with earlier and child sacrifice today. And even then, even in the midst of all of this murderous child sacrifice, I hear the same God say the same words. If you'll return to me, I'll return to you. And what was their answer? How can we return when we have never gone away? They can't see. They don't know that they've departed from the truth, that they're walking in the darkness. They just couldn't see. What couldn't they see? And this is the danger of the church today. What couldn't they see? They could not see how far they had fallen. They couldn't see it. Church, and in the church today cannot see how far we have fallen away from God. I find it to be an alarming statement. Do you? They couldn't see how far they had fallen. Let me give you a contrast. 
That's Malachi. But when John has this encounter with God in the Revelation, Jesus tells John, he dictates a letter to the church at Ephesus. And you know what he says to the Ephesus church in Revelation? He says, look how far you have fallen. Return to me. He says the same thing in Revelation that he said in Malachi. Look how far you have fallen. Why is that a big deal? Because no one can repent and turn to God until they recognize how far they have fallen. That's why it's so important to speak the truth. Because the truth reveals the distance that we have traveled away from God's word. And if you don't know how far you've fallen, you're never going to get up, turn around to go back to him until you realize how far you've fallen. Truth reveals the gap between man and God. In this next verse, God describes the fall, the first one. And I think you might be surprised as God describes the falling away of Israel, what the first thing that fell away was. Verse 8, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat, when did we ever cheat you, God? That's the Jewish people. When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, listen carefully, just bring, put me first again in your life. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then, when you return to me, and then, when you put me first in your life again, and then, all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's the only place in the Bible that I am aware of that God asks us, dares us to test him. You ever thought about that? He dares us to test him. Give me the first fruits of your life and see what I will do in response. Test me. Go ahead, try it. Why is that important? Later in the New Testament, Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there I will find your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That was the first charge of God against Israel in Malachi. This is the second one. Next verse. We're moving toward 316. Let's go to 13. You have said terrible things about me. The first charge is you're robbing me. You're cheating me. You're not bringing your tithes into the temple. The second one is what? You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said 
what's the use in serving God? What's the advantage? What's the use in serving God? We, what have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry that we are repentant for our sin? What have we gained? What's the use? He's listening. From now on, this is what the people say. From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil, do evil get rich, and those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Do you see it? Do you understand what the people were saying? They were saying, what is the benefit of being Jewish? What is the benefit of being called the children of God? And what is the benefit of repentance? What's the benefit that comes to me when I'm sorry for my sin, that I live in a repentant life? What is the benefit? What's the use? The unbelieving world seems to be better off than we are. Do you ever get that feeling? Because I do. Sometimes it looks like the unbelieving world is better off than we are. So why follow God? Why do it? Why go through all the trouble? The first charge was you don't tithe. You haven't given me the first fruits. And now you're not sorry for your sin at all. And you say to God, What's the use of going through all the trouble? Why not just join the world and take off and go in their direction? What's the use? Do you know what I thought when I read those verses? The very verse we open with today, verse 6. I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already dead. Can you imagine being the holy God that created, called Abraham, separated Israel from the people of the world, hearing that from them in this scene? What's the use in following you anyway? And you know what I hear? I am the Lord God. I do not change. And because I do not change, you're still alive. Because if I hadn't made a covenant with Abraham, I would have destroyed every one of you already. But because I am the Lord and I do not change, you're still living. If it weren't for the covenant promises of God, they'd all be dead. They were robbing God, and that's God's perspective. And they had come to the point where they no longer saw the value of being Jewish. They no longer saw the value of being the covenant children of God. They never saw the value of obeying the law. They didn't see the value of having, having sorrow for sinning against their creator. They didn't see the value. They didn't see the worth. They didn't see why do we keep doing it. They placed little value on being chosen children of God. Now let's stop for a moment and compare this to the church today. What value do you place on being called the blood-bought children of the Most High God? You see, they had discarded the value of that calling. Can you see this attitude in the church today? Let me read it to you again. Here's what they were saying to God. What's the use in serving God? What have we, all, what have we gained by obeying His commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? Do we serve a different God today than they do? The Jewish people in the time of Malachi and the church today have lost sight of the benefit, the value, the worth 
of being called the children of God. They saw the wicked increase while they lived in sometimes difficult situations. And they said, what's the use? They saw the wicked prosper in their wickedness, while the prophets then and the preachers now call out for repentance. And they say to themselves, what's the use? The prophets then, the preachers now, say, repent, turn to God. Why? You look at the world around you, and it looks like they're going unabated into the darkness, rich, fat, and happy. And you say, why? It looks like they're winning, preacher. Why would I turn around and repent? From the world's perspective, the arrogant are blessed. From the world's perspective, those who do evil get rich and obtain worldly power and influence. From the world's perspective, those who mock God and dare God to punish them suffer no harm. Does that story of Malachi have application today? Are you ready for Malachi 3.16? It's the next verse. It is revealed 400 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Here we go, Malachi 3.16. And then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. It's like they have a meeting. Those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. Now, they've just gotten this counsel with God. What? You're robbing me. You've abandoned me. You're not following the word. You've come to the point where you don't think it's useful to be the children of God anymore. Those who feared the Lord met, spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said in that meeting. In His presence, which means in the heavenly realm, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. There it is. Malachi 3.16. Here's the summary. Those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. They had a meeting. When they heard the prophet Malachi reveal God's word, his calling, his rebuke, they had a meeting. Those who feared the Lord had a meeting. And they decided in that meeting that making God your enemy was a terrible idea. This is big. The Lord was listening when they met together. What does that do to you when you hear that? Malachi 3.16 says that those who feared the Lord, they got together and that while they were talking to each other about what are we going to do in response to God's word to Malachi, God was listening. He was listening as they met together, those who feared the Lord. Today, be honest. Let's start here. Do you fear God? Or do you feel like the wicked and unbelieving world all around us are mocking God and prospering while some silly preacher stands up there and says, repent? Do you fear God? What's the use? Israel was looking at God, the God who called them out of the earth as the children of God. And they were saying to him, what's the use? What's the use? 
In Proverbs 9 verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Do you fear God? Come on, let's be honest. I, in fact, I had somebody come to me, up to me after the first service with a question about the fear of God. You know, perfect love casts out fear. So how would I have fear of God? In Psalms 36, it says, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no, the wicked, they have no fear of God at all. So let's be realistic. Right now, today, modern world. Yes, sometimes it looks like the prideful, arrogant unbelievers of this world are blessed. Yes, sometimes it looks like those who do evil get rich and prosper in power and influence. Yes, sometimes it looks like those who mock God and dare Him to punish them suffer no harm. They get away with it. But there's something coming. That's the purpose of this message today, but there's something coming. It's called the last day, and everybody has a last day. And when I was growing up in the church, I remember a lot of preachers would use this following line. But I've noticed a lot of preachers don't use this line anymore. Here's the line. Judgment day's coming. And the fear of God is connected strongly to that sentence. Judgment day is coming. And everyone will stand before God and give an account. So I want you all to understand, in light of Malachi 3.16, those who feared the Lord met together, and they came to the conclusion that they thought it was a bad idea to be the enemy of God. So they responded, and I'll get into what that means in a moment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this, For we must all stand before Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. I'm going to be in line with you. You're going to be in line with me. Every one of us is going to stand before Christ to be judged. Everyone means everyone. You, don't, you won't get your lawyer to come with you. It'll just be you. You're going to stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body, in this flesh. What I did with what I was given, I'm going to stand and give an account to God. You are too. Now don't miss the context of Malachi 3.16. I want to read it to you again. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said. In His presence, a scroll of remembrance. As they're meeting, He's writing a scroll. He's writing names on a scroll of the people in the meeting who fear God. He's writing their names down. Are you with me? In His presence, God's presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared Him, number one, and those who always thought about the honor of His name, number two. Those who feared Him and lived to honor His name, He starts writing their names down in a book, a scroll of remembrance. You got to get this part. This is Malachi 3.16. 
They met together, those who feared the Lord. I hope that's what brought you here today. I hope that truth is what has assembled the church together today, here and around the world. God was listening to them as they met together. I hope that's what's happening right now in this session. He's listening to us. He's reading, determining the content of our hearts. Something was happening in heaven as these God-fearing people gathered together. Are you with me? While the God-fearing people of Israel met together in Malachi 3.16, something is happening in heaven. That meeting is shaking the heavens. That meeting has caused God to open a book and start writing down names. What's the criteria? They feared God and they lived to honor his name. Your name's in the book. A scroll of remembrance was being formed in heaven. But I want you to notice whose names are on there. I want to read it to you again. I want to make sure you leave here today understanding. Then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said. And in God's presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him. And always thought about the honor of his name. Those who feared God and thought about his honor, their names were written in a book. A book in heaven. God's book of remembrance. Today, do you know about this book of remembrance? I'm asking. Do you know about this book that is being written in heaven? The book with the names of people who fear God. The book that has the names of those who fear God and those who live explicitly to honor his name. A book of remembrance so that the God of heaven will never forget your name. Is that the only place that the Bible talks about this type of book? No, it's not. Daniel's prophecy in chapter 7 reveals the throne in heaven and a book. What's Malachi? There's a throne in heaven and God's got a book and he starts writing down names. Well, you know, the same thing is recorded in Daniel 7 verse 9. Let me read it to you. By the way, this is such a powerful revealing scripture. Daniel says, I watched as thrones were put in place. It's like a court is going to be called into session. I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one, this is God the Father, and the ancient one sat down to judge, to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool, and he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. And listen, millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. And the, then the court began its session. And the books were opened. The ancient one, God the Father, has called the heavenly court into session. And the books are opened. And can you imagine that the scroll of remembrance that Malachi talks about is in this bookshelf? 
Now, let's fast forward past Jesus' time on the earth, all the way up to the time when he comes back to give the revelation to the Apostle John. Revelation 20. We're looking for these books, these scrolls of remembrance. Verse 11. And then I saw a great white throne and one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Then the books, there they are. And the books were open. He saw the what? He saw the dead, both great and small. They're standing before God's throne. And the books are now open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death in the grave gave up their dead. And they were all judged according to their deeds. And then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I need to read that one more time. Anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's called hell. These books matter. The names in these books determine their eternal future. Revelation calls it the book of life. But there are other books. There are the books of death as well. There are names in these books. And I want you to come to grips with this truth today. Everyone's name is in one of these books. Everyone who has ever lived on the earth, your name is in one of these books. And anyone's name who was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, back to Malachi. Yes, sometimes it looks like the mockers and the arrogant of this world are blessed. Yes, sometimes it looks like those who do evil get rich and find power and influence. Yes, sometimes it looks like those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. They get away with it. Sometimes it looks like they're winning. But there's something coming. It's called the last day. And everyone has a last day. Judgment day is coming. And everyone will stand before God and give an account the day when the books are going to be opened in heaven. You need to understand that God has scheduled on His calendar a day when all the books in heaven will be opened. The scrolls of remembrance, the book of life, the book of death. They'll all be open. And your name is in one of the books. Everybody, your name, my name, it's in one of the books. God's scroll of remembrance God is watching. Malachi 3.16. God is watching. God is listening. He's writing names in the books of remembrance in heaven. We know from Malachi that those who fear God and live to honor his name are written down in a heavenly book of remembrance. But what about now? Okay, preacher, that's Old Testament. What about now? What about the church age? Six times in the Revelation, the book of life is mentioned. Six times. 
What about now? Revelation is the new covenant. It is the New Testament. It is the church age. Let me read them to you. And I just ask you, allow the power of God's word to redeem your heart. Allow this light to penetrate your darkness. This is how it works. It's alive. This word's alive. Revelation 3, 4. Yet there are some in the church at Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will, I will never erase their names from the book of life. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels, they, that one, that one, that one, that one, or mine. Their names are in a book. Revelation 13, 8. And all the people who belong to this world, the ones who worship the beast, those who sacrificed their children to the devil and never repented, return to me and I'll return to you. All those who refuse to obey the truth of God's word, lived in rebellion. All the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. Now something is made clear in that scripture. Now we see that the book of life has an owner. It belongs to the Lamb. It belongs to Jesus. He controls the book of life and the names in that book. Let's go to the next one, Revelation 17. This is the church age. The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now. That's the Antichrist. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. That's judgment day. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. That's the miracle of the Antichrist, the false miracle of the Antichrist. I'm going to skip over that next one. I've already read it. Let's go to Revelation 21. I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of a sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city and nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those who's going to get in this wonderful, incredible city that doesn't have a sun, moon, or stars because Jesus lights the place up just because he's there. Who's going to get in the city? But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We started today in Malachi. 
looking at 316 and the book of remembrance. That book had the names of those who feared God, number one, and lived to honor his name, number two. 316 reveals the name that must be feared and honored today. Why feared? Many struggle with the concept of fear of God. Why would we be afraid? It's a fear that drives us under the shelter of his wings. It's not a fear that makes us run away. It is a fear that makes us run toward him. Because the fear is of his absence. It is not the fear of his presence. Let me give you the contrast. Right now on the earth, if you're truly in Christ, you fear God. I fear God. I don't mind telling you I fear God. I fear failing him. I fear disappointing my father. It's a motivation to me. When I make life choices, I make them based on the fear of God. I fear failing my father because of what he has done for me. I feel a responsibility toward him. And that fear is a motivator that keeps me up close to him. It's a motivator to keep me in close his presence under the shelter of his wings, the shadow of his wings. But on the last day when Jesus appears in the clouds, do I fear him on that day? I'm going to tell you, I have no greater calling or desire than to see his face. The ultimate goal of my life is to look into his face. So right now I live in a fear that motivates me to stay in his presence and close to him. But I don't have a fear of when he comes that I'm going to run from him. I've been spending the last 30 years running toward him. I'm surely not going to change directions on the last day. But let's flip it over. Those right now who do not believe, they have no fear of it at all right now. Right now, they live a life that has no fear of God. But on the last day, the Bible says they will cry out for the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the face of the Lamb who comes to make war. Do you see the difference? One fear makes us run toward him now so that on judgment day, there will be no more fear. The other refuses the fear of God today only to find the most incredible, horrible fear on the last day, which would be better for a mountain to fall on you than to face the one you rejected with your life. Why fear? Because he's coming back to make war. Do you understand that? It's one of the failures I see in the modern American church. He's coming back to make war against those who have not feared him and honored his name. Who is the scroll of remembrance in Malachi? They are the ones who feared God and lived to honor his name. It's the scroll of remembrance. They feared God, lived to honor his name. When Jesus comes, and he is coming soon. He's coming to make war for those who refuse to fear him and refuse to honor his name. Let me prove it to you. The Gospel of Luke records a scene. It is the last recorded scene in the Gospel of Luke before Jesus enters on Palm Sunday to walk toward the cross that week. 
And there's one verse. This is the summation of the fear of God for unbelievers. Why would you fear God? Here we go. Luke 19, 27. And for these enemies of mine, who are they? They refused the fear of God and they did not live to honor his name. And for these enemies of mine, this is Jesus. And for these enemies of mine, those whose names are not in the scroll of remembrance, they refuse to fear me and they refuse to honor my name. They didn't want me to be their king. Bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. They didn't teach you that in church, did they? Bring them in and execute them right in front of me. Why? They don't want me to be their king. If you do not want him to be your king now, he will not be your king then. You have become his enemy. He's coming to make war. Now, as horrible as that is, there's another 316. There's another one. That's Malachi 316. There's another one, John 316. For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him, what? They fear Him and honor His name. They, they welcome Him as their King. For God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal, everlasting, forever and ever and ever life. God doesn't want you to perish in the lake of fire. How wonderful is that? Somebody say hallelujah. God doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want to send. He finds the pleasure, no pleasure in sending anyone to hell. God sent his son to the earth so that you could have your name written in his glorious book of life. Like Malachi, the salvation story is the same. Those who fear God and live to honor his name. But I've got to tell you something today. There is only one name that will get you in the book of life. There is only one name under heaven that can save you, snatch you out of the fire of hell, and put you into God's kingdom. One name. His name is Jesus. Say the name. Jesus. Say the name. That is the name. And if you're ashamed of that word, that name, you're embarrassed by that name, then something is wrong inside of your heart. He stepped out of heaven to take you by the collar and lift you out of hell. And you're embarrassed by his name? Then you have no fear of God. And you certainly do not live to honor his name. In Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So here's my closing today. I want to read one more time Malachi 3.16. Except this time, I want to read the last two verses that I did not read on purpose in the beginning. And it's the grand finale today. I'm going to tell you, it is. This is it. If you, if, you, if you can't grin during this one, then there's a problem. Then those who feared the Lord 
spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Now, here comes the last two verses. They will be my people. Who These people written on the scroll, they will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies, on the day when I act in judgment, judgment day. When judgment day comes... They will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. And then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Today, we assemble as a people who fear God. We know about the books in heaven. Today, we assemble as a people who live to honor the name of Jesus, our Savior and King. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of the name that has saved us from the fire of hell. We have the fear of God. And the reason I say that in that way is Luke 12, verse 4. Jesus says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body They cannot do any more to you after they kill your body. But I'll tell you whom to fear, Jesus said. Fear God. Who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. We gather here as a people that fear God and know 316 of Malachi and we know 316 of John. God doesn't want us to perish. We gather here as a people that fear God and believe that He's watching and He's listening right now this moment. Do you believe that? We gather as a people who know right now. He knows the content of your heart this moment. He knows whether or not you meet this criteria. Two points from Malachi 3.16. You fear God and you live to honor His name. He knows. If that's you, you ought to have a grin on your face today. You are marked as his special treasure. And on the day that he comes to judge the world, he will spare you as a father spares his obedient child. You are redeemed. But he knows. You might be faking out everybody in your house, but you will not fake him out. He knows. He knows our hearts, and He knows whether or not we live to honor His name and His Son, Jesus. He knows, and He's writing it all down in the book of remembrance. There's only one name and one way to get into that book. His name's Jesus, and He knows. It's His book. He knows. I'm going to ask Chad to come out for the invitation. When we started the journey through Malachi 3.16, there was a powerful statement of God. In the midst of Israel's rebellion, he made a statement. Return to me and I'll return to you. It's called repentance. I wonder if it's the most powerful word in the Bible. It's a restored relationship with God. Return to me and I'll return to you. But there was one more comment that is forever put in my mind. 
He says, I do not change. And that's why you're still alive. I do not change. I made a covenant with Abraham. Had it not been for the covenant with Abraham, I'd have killed you all already. Because you're wretched, sinful people. When Jesus on that last night instituted the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood of Christ, he made a new covenant. It's sealed in blood. And if it were not for that covenant, he would have already destroyed us. And today the door of that covenant is open. I don't think the door will be open much longer. But the door of that covenant's open for those who fear him and will live their lives to honor his name under the power of the Spirit. The door is open. Where's your name written? Where's your name written? I'm asking everybody, where's your name written? Is it in the book of life? Then you are redeemed. And we're going to sing a song, celebrate, celebrate. Live in the fear of God. Live to honor his name from this day until you stop breathing or he comes and grabs you. But if your name is not in that book, you are lost. You're heading for hell. You're heading for hell for one reason. You live to honor you. And you can't save you. You must die to yourself. Those who don't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them in front of me. You did it. You want to be your own king? You want to have your own kingdom? It's going to come crashing to an end one day. His kingdom is eternal. Today, the door opens and he invites you into his kingdom. Where's your name written? What book? We're going to do an invitation. I urge you with all that is within me. I don't think there's a lot of time left. I'm not date setting. I'm just telling you. I don't think there's a lot of time left. He must be your king before you meet him. He must be your king before you're called in front of him. Father, today, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive, believe, and obey. For only you can draw us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.